Welcome in, everyone, to episode 14 of Up and Down, a disc golf analytics podcast. I'm Jesse, joined, as usual, by Joey. Hello. We're the nerds who run this thing, and on this episode, we'll be breaking down the 2022 True Bank Des Moines Challenge. But first, Joey, how you doing, man? I'm doing well. It's rainy on this side of the country for the first time in a while. So while the while that's great for all of the plants and nature and environment and civil infrastructure, it means I didn't get to play disc golf yesterday or today. So bittersweet, I suppose. How are you? Not too bad. Yeah, it seems like we took all of the rain from you because while most people assume it never rains in the desert, uh, we do have a monsoon season and it's been raining like almost every day. Like, certainly multiple times a week as a given. Uh, and I was pretty shocked to learn that it just has not been raining at all where you're at. So that's pretty interesting. Yeah. Yeah, we're few... happy to have it. All our mountains are super green now. We usually only get that for a couple months out of the year. Yeah, there's a few areas of the country that are struggling with uh, with the drought season right now. So. Yep, yep. Uh, as far as disc golf in the last week, it's been pretty good. Uh, a few days ago, I was able to play a new course. That's always exciting. I don't get to do that every day. Very much so. Um, that was Roosevelt Park in New Mexico. Pretty cool. Some really dinky holes. I They had one hole that I swear was like 100 feet. And uh, they had some holes that were much longer. You know, par 3... 375 they had some par fours which i don't ever get to play unless i go out of town so sure that was cool i also just picked up some mail i ordered a first run castaplast gold on ebay unfortunately when they first dropped i was on work travel so i did not get to try to snag one the second they dropped but did get one off ebay and uh feels great the manufacturing on cast blasts is always top notch. And they of did course. something new with this one where usually they put a sticker on the bottom of the flight plate that has the weight and some six digit number that I don't really know what it means. And on this run, they're both molded like they're in the mold. Oh, cool. Um, Maybe the like weight a run wouldn't surprise me if something. that was in the mold, but this six digit code thing is also just in the mold, which is kind of cool it would be more cool if i knew what it meant but yeah i imagine it's some sort of manufacturing run tracking number or something like that yeah i have a first run lutz that is uh it's also a six digit number and it starts with two one something something and this one is two two zero so i wonder if it actually is just like the year code yeah 22 uh, so for the LUTs, it wouldn't make sense for that to be 21. But I'm wondering okay. if this is actually just the serial number of every disc they've ever run. Could be. That'd be that cool. would be super cool. Uh, yeah, and outside of that, uh, the only reason I would say I'm not doing super well is I really have to pee. And I intentionally did not be as incentive for finishing this episode faster than we normally do. <laughs> so. Love the incentive. Yes, we're going to, hopefully this will do the trick. We It seems like we've tried everything uh, to get these episodes shorter. It just never works. So uh, some small level of physical pain. Discomfort, yeah. Yeah, maybe that'll do the trick. I'm all about it. Well, let's jump right into it. Let's do it. 60 second stories. You know this is where we always start. 
This is all the biggest headlines from the weekend in 60 seconds or less apiece. So, Joe, I think we would be remiss if we didn't start with the epic playoff on the MPO side between Simon Lazat and Robert Burridge. Yeah, extremely fun. Some of the best disc golf that I've seen in a long time. One of the most exciting finishes for me to watch. Spoiler free, fortunately, since I'd say maybe LVC. Yeah, I mean, that also was a playoff, right? And then we've had other playoffs since then, but I think you're right. And I think the similarity there is in LVC, we had Gannon Burr, who had not had any wins in his career. Still doesn't have that Elite Series one, but has gotten the Silver Series since then. Sure. It was him against Drew Gibson, who also does not have a ton of wins under his belt, but he's not winless. Uh, and this was the same thing with Robert Burridge, looking for his first win of any kind, Silver Series or Elite Series. On the pro uh, tour. Against the tried and true fan favorite, Simon Lazat. So certainly couldn't go wrong either way with who took it down. Uh, I think most people were pulling for Burridge. Maybe I'm just saying that because I was pulling for Burridge. But uh, either way, I mean, he handled it great uh, throughout the whole event. You know, wasn't oh, yeah. uh, super heartbroken over it. You could tell he was having a blast. Yeah, he was just out there having fun, so... Obviously, I'm sure everyone, including him, knows that uh, he'll be back in that spot again, probably in the near future. So, I have to imagine so with the way that he was playing. Absolutely. So that was certainly the story on the MPO side. I, I guess aside from uh, the first time this year having a little weather delay messing up the first round. Yeah, and if I remember correctly, I think something similar happened last year at DMC. I think there was some sort of weather related issues oh that i don't remember but that would be interesting yeah over on the fpo side chris and tatar running away with it so that makes this Kristen as well as simon's third elite series win on the year which is tied for the most in both divisions yeah slight and- head nod to Kristen, who yes this is her third win of the year all of them in Elite Series and Majors, just like Simon. Uh, Kristen also won an event overseas in Yarva. Yeah. So her fourth win in a big event, you could say. And uh, this win means that Kristen has won three of her last four Elite Series events. Yeah, it also means that she has nine podium finishes in a row in Elite Series or Silver Series events on the DGPT, and that is all of the ones that she has played. Yeah, I think it's ten. For some reason, I thought it was nine, but nevertheless, the point stands. Yeah, so I think she started the year with six second and thirds, some combination of second and thirds. And then has won three of the last four, which would make the total go up to 10. Either way, has not finished off the podium except for the one tournament that she did not finish at all. Um, yeah, that's it's whether or not you count Yarva, that's the difference. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah. So with, with Yarva, it's, it's 10. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. So. Th- I mean, she started out super hot out of the gate. She had the lead going into round two by six strokes, shooting a ridiculous nine under. Not the first time she started out with a crazy huge lead after the first round. And as usual, 
sticking this one out through the end, holding that lead the whole time. And in this case, taking down Evelina Salonen, who finished in second. Yeah, really great performances by by a lot of different people, but Kristen went wire to wire on this one, and we're sort of coming to expect that if she comes out slinging in round one. It's going to be tough to take it away from her. Really huge performance. We'll dive into the stats of that a little bit a little bit later on. Um, we got a Monte Carlo simulation that, like we usually do for some of these super hot rounds that we've ran. Yeah, so let's jump back over to the MPO side with what it takes. This is where we break down our champions to determine what they did to set them apart from the rest of the field. And like I said, kick us off with Simon Lazat. Yeah, so the story here is a little interesting because of the weather delays. Um, for anybody that watched the tournament, I'm sure you're familiar, but um, about half or so, I believe, of the MPO players had their round one cut in half because of a weather delay, and they had to play the end of their round on Saturday morning in addition to their round two. Um, and for some of those players, some of the UDISC live stats weren't recorded for the second half of their their round one so just keep that in mind with some of the stats but nevertheless the story for simon was was pretty balanced between tee to green and putting as far as strokes gained that number gets gets affected by the incomplete stats so looking away from that simon was second and fifth in circle one and circle two in regulation respectively we all know that circle one in regulation is one of the biggest predictors of birdie percentage and this one did its job because Simon was also second in birdie percentage, and he hit 100% of his circle one putts. That's 28 for 28 circle one putts, also putting up a great performance in circle two with 31%. Yeah, the 100% circle one was something that Simon himself was super proud of. Uh, you could see it on his Instagram and his post-round interviews. That was something that... Uh, he really that stood out for him right more so than the tee to green game and we would be totally remiss if we didn't talk a little bit about robert burridge and this is pretty interesting so looking at the robert burridge stat line where he stood out the most i guess was circle two in regulation finishing third in the field with 74 percent also third in birdie percentage at 55 but looking at the strokes gain number, you have fifth in strokes gain putting. Certainly not bad, right? Um, and then shots gain T to green, 17th, only gaining 7.86. So as far as people who have separated themselves as much from the rest of the field as he did, I mean, keep in mind, when they went into the playoff, Robert Burridge and Simon were six strokes ahead of anybody else. Yeah. And, and that was so to see four that type players. of dominance. Four players tied. Yeah. Third place. There was yeah. a huge clump of players in that 21 under and then some more at 20, I think. And uh, to be that far ahead of every other player in the field, with the exception of Simon, and only be 17th in shots gained T to green you would think, well, all the shots must have come from putting then. But he was still only fifth, barely cracking the top five in that. Um, so really interesting that with those stats, he was able to put himself as far ahead from everyone else as he did. And you mentioned the stats thing with round one. 
Not sure how that plays into any of this, but you know, keep it in the back of your mind. It's possible that could be affecting what we're seeing, but hard to say. Yeah, I I don't know that it affects it too too much. Um, you know, because if you look at, for example, Simon gained four point six strokes tee to green in round one. In rounds two and rounds three, he gained two and a half and three and a half. So the, the numbers are pretty similar. Um, I think it's just an, an interesting tournament where there, you know, it was a really scorable course. You know, most of the birdie percentages were upwards of 45 to 50%. Um, so there wasn't that many strokes to be gained. Yeah. So if you sort the field by birdie percentage, or I guess just scores, if you're in UDISC following along, right? Simon comes up number one, 59% birdies. Robert Burge, number two at 55. And then you have all these other players. No one else is over 50%. You have three guys tied at 50%. And then it's Burge at 55 and Simon at 59. So I did say Burge was third in birdie percentage. That is because in first, Udisc is saying uh, was a player who did not finish. That was Elijah Bickle. But those stats do not discriminate between players who DNF'd and players who finished. Um, so really, Burge was second. Should have caught that. But yeah, yeah, Simon 59, Robert Burge 55, and then no one else over 50. Yeah, over on the FPO side, it's, it's a different story. All about Tita Green over there. Kristen Tatar barely edging out Evelina Salonen in strokes gained tee to green with 21.9 across the three rounds to Evelina's 21.6, jumping down to third place, Henna Blumrus at 18.1. Strokes gained putting, Kristen was only in 11th with just three strokes gained, pretty evenly split between circle one and circle two. She putted 79 and 14% in circle one and circle two, respectively. However, she was first in fairway hits and parked and circle two in regulation, all of which contributed to her strong tee to green performance. Yeah, that circle two in regulation was not particularly close. Kristen Tatar with 78%. Next best was Evelina at 70. So an 8%, eight percentage points, I should say, difference between Kristen Tatar and anybody else. Another thing I'm noticing here in the FPO the score separation among the top four finishers is absolutely massive. So Kristen Tatar, 15 under. Second was Evelina at 11 under. Macy Veladiaz in third at 7 under. And then Kat Merch, fourth at 4 under. So yeah. from first to fourth, you're talking about a spread of 11. And that spread is pretty even, evenly distributed from first to second, second to third, third to fourth. Yeah, this this is something that I feel like we we see more often in the FPO than in the MPO where somebody really runs away with it, you know, and, and the two top two or three players create a massive amount of separation from from the rest of the field. We do see it in MPO, you know, we certainly saw it in MPO in this tournament. And I wonder if it's, you know, just this type of course that sets up for that. If you're just on, all of these holes are gettable. So if you can just keep raking them in. Yeah, and I think this type of thing is just more likely to happen in the FPO just because of the sheer size of the field. Being yeah, of course. Smaller. 
you know, as your, your field size gets infinitely larger, you would expect the score distribution to a more closely approach a perfect bell curve. Sure. Um, so you'd expect the scoring to be a lot smoother of a distribution. The yeah. more points you have. Plus, Kristen Tatar is just the best player in the world, and sometimes she's just going to do Kristen Tatar things. So probably a little bit of both of those going on there. Yeah, get her 10th podium finish of the year. No big deal. Yeah, no kidding. All right, what do you say we jump into crunch time? Let's do it. Gotta love it. Our favorite segment, as always, it's crunch time, where we have crunched the numbers from the entire field, top to bottom, to bring you just the straight up coolest stats from the weekend. So, Joey, I'll kick it off here. I know you've got some big stuff with the Monte Carlo, but just a couple interesting things I'll I'll throw in there because I'm just so excited about these stats. So, normally, especially when we see someone win by a large margin as Kristen did in the FPO, normally when a player wins by that much, they are first in birdie percentage. That is almost a guarantee. This tournament was a little bit different. So the player who finished first in birdie percentage was actually Paige Pierce, who did not have a bad tournament, but she did not even podium. She finished tied for fifth. And I would like you to try to guess how many times in the FPO specifically this year the player who has the highest birdie percentage, how many times has that player finished as low as Paige did in this tournament? So fifth place or worse. I honestly, it would even surprise me if in the FPO there was a single event of the person who had the highest birdie percentage not winning. So that was kind of my mindset uh, when I started digging into this. So at Belton, Kristen Tatar had the highest birdie percentage, and she finished third. And okay. Belton was only the third tournament of the year. So, and I, you know, I was looking through the tournaments in chronological order. So yeah. by that point, I was thinking, okay, there's got to be more. Maybe right. this is more common than I expected, but. Like I said, what I asked you is how often the player who finishes first in birdie percentage finishes fifth or worse. So that excludes Kristen Tatar at Belton. Sure. What I found is there are three instances of this happening. Uh, actually, four. There are four instances where this has happened through the year, which is obviously far more than I expected. I was expecting zero. Here are those four cases. Paige Pierce, finishing fifth at DDO, had the highest birdie percentage. I think she also was over par on like 30% of holes or something crazy. But at DDO, a lot of players were, just with the condition. Yep. Cat Merch. I don't know why I didn't write what tournament this was, but she also tied for fifth at some tournament and led in birdie percentage. Okay. At the Music City Open, Natalie Ryan, she was tied for the largest birdie percentage. She did not have the outright lead, but she was tied for the lead in birdie percentage and finished seventh 
at the Music City Open. And then <laughs> the craziest one, I can't believe we didn't catch this when we talked about Idlewild. But at Idlewild, Paige Pierce, once again, highest birdie percentage, and she finished tied for 10th. Wow. Yeah, that I was not really expecting that. Me. So uh, it's just funny because we always talk about birdie percentage and how it just like goes without saying that birdie percentage always correlates so closely to the overall leaderboard. But those strokes over par, right? The number of holes you play over par matters just as much. Yeah, it's easy and, to forget. Uh, yeah, sometimes you can have the most birdies and not podium. That's a thing that can happen. Yeah, got to watch out for those holes over par. For sure. All right, Joey, hit us with some Monte Carlo stuff because it's. I feel like it's been a few episodes since we've gotten to talk about it. Yeah, it has. You know, so as a reminder, this is a, a simulation that we wrote where we use the actual whole performances of all of the players in a, in a field and we mash them all together and we we run a simulation a, a certain number of times to try to estimate the statistical likelihood of a given performance. In this particular example, we're talking about Kristen's round one, where she shot a minus nine, which is absolutely wild. Bonkers. Absolutely bonkers. And we're, we're going to dive into the, the statistical likelihood here. So just as a reminder, it was, it was the best performance by a substantial margin, six strokes. Um, Jesse made a nice graph on our Instagram of Kristen's strokes gained in round one. So we've been uh, elevating the performance of, of this code. So I was able to run no less than 100 million simulations, not because I needed to, but because it increases the <laughs> statistical rigor of what Yeah, it's of not always about what you need to do. You know, sometimes it, it makes me feel cool. Yeah, it, it makes, me, makes me feel cool to... Uh, to say that I ran a hundred million simulations, not a billion. That would be way too much. Um, yeah. But to cut to the chase, uh, Kristen's performance was repeated by the simulation. It, it repeated the exact number about 1700 times, which translates to about 17 in a million. But importantly, there was also some performances that were, were better than that as well. Um, the simulation was able to shoot minus 10, 11, and 12. But again, we're talking about 100 million attempts here. So to shoot negative 9 or better was about 20 in, in 1 million, which is still <laughs> excellent. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> I'm laughing because I'm trying to record over here, and my cat just thinks it's entertaining to swat the blinds. Just Of course. Scratch the blinds. That's, what else that's would the what cat do? do? Your cat. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you can hear it, but yeah. Sorry for the interruption. Yeah, so about about 20 in a million is uh, Kristen's performance there, um, which is great. It, it certainly doesn't compare to some of those super high top performances that we've seen, you know, Katrina and Paul at Champions Cup and, and those things, but it's really cool to, to talk about, you know, it, 20 in a million of the performances in this field would be able to shoot that or better. Um, I think it really understates how 
it's easy to understate how good minus nine is, but when you look at it in something that ran this simulation a hundred million times, um, it sort of paints a better picture. Yeah, absolutely. Worth noting the hot round on the entire weekend obviously was this round by Kristen Tatar. It was the hot round in round one by six strokes, but on the weekend, uh, the next hottest round was not six strokes worse. It was Kona Panis shooting a six under in round three. So while Kristen's round was the best round by six strokes in round one, it was only the best by three strokes. I say only, obviously, that's still insane. Uh, only the best by three strokes on the whole week. Right. Yeah, 20 in a million. We're talking big numbers at that point. Yeah. All right. I'll, I want to jump back here to the MPO because, like I said, we talked about birdie percentage and how it just always correlates so well to the overall leaderboard. Well, we've talked about Circle 1 and regulation also correlating very strongly uh, to other statistics. Namely, Circle 1 and regulation usually correlates very strongly to birdie percentage, which in turn corresponds very strongly to the overall leaderboard. I was very surprised for that reason to see that the player who finished first in Circle 1 and regulation at 54% on the MPO side was Kale LaVisca. Kale LaVisca finished outside the top 20. Huh. Yeah. So Kale LaVisca, let's see, finished tied for 26th. Okay. Yeah. So I did not go through to see how often uh, the player who finishes first in circle one in regulation finishes that low. Yeah, I've that... got to think this is the lowest. It's at least in contention for sure. Yeah. And, you know, when you look at his stats, 68% C1X, it sort of paints, paints the story. You know, he, he only shot 1% better in Circle 1 regulation than Simon. And when Simon puts up 100% in Circle 1X, you know, he's, get, he's getting a lot more birdies than Kale. Yeah, Kale unfortunately lost 3.8 strokes to the field just in C1X. Lost a little bit over 5 in total putting. And Bottom 10 in C1X. Bottom 10 players Ooh, yeah no bueno putting only 68 percent like you said all right speaking of simon obviously you've thrown his name around a little bit if you've been following simon on youtube you'll notice he's been doing some content with a german gentleman named jerome brown yeah and jerome was also on the bag for simon this weekend as his caddy well jerome also played in this event and he had a pretty good weekend, all things considered. He did finish tied for 102nd on the tournament, so that part, not so great. But he, like Simon, was perfect from C1X on the weekend, going 26 for 26, including, in round three, 14 for 14 from C1X. That's a lot of circle one putts in one round. That's a lot. I I can't imagine having circle one putt attempts, C1X specifically, 
on 14 of 18 holes in a single round. Yeah, that's putting a lot of pressure on your putting game. It is putting a lot of pressure on, but he was super hot, hit every single one of them, and hit all of them earlier in the weekend as well. So the perfect 26 or 26 was good enough to finish third in strokes gain C1X with just under five. And that was only bested by Chris Dickerson and Andrew Marweed. So hard to complain when you're losing to those two guys. He did everything he could. He made every putt he saw. Just didn't see quite enough to uh, match the total strokes gained of Dickerson and Marweed. Got some more putting stats here for you. Katrina Allen. So at the beginning of the season, we talked about her being at the top of the leaderboard in shots gained circle two, like week in and week out. So she is back on that train this weekend, finishing first in strokes gained circle two with 4.84. The next best was Lisa Fakus at 3.49. So about 1.1 and a third strokes difference between first and second there what's really interesting about this is that katrina allen lost strokes in circle two in both rounds two and three wow so she just gained an insane amount of strokes yeah from circle two in round one and then the lost you know fractions of a stroke in each of round two and round three but that did not take her off the leaderboard she still finished in first And here are the numbers specifically. So we've got in round one, six for 11 from circle two. Again, having 11 circle two attempts in a single round is a ton. That's a lot. Yeah. It is. And making six of them, you know, obviously super good. And then in rounds two and three combined, she only went one for 14. Yeah. It's just something was, was feeling right that day, I guess. Yeah. Paid off. On the other side of the coin for putting, we have Tiger Borth, who had a great putting performance of her own, in her case, in C1X. So she finished second in strokes gained C1X. It is the first time all season that she has finished in the top 10 in shots gained C1X. Wow. Yeah, and I, sometimes... That surprises me, because it's, it's a name that... I'm not unfamiliar with. Yeah, we see the name, you know. Um, I recognized her name particularly, uh, not for the best reasons, but I noticed early on in the season that she was one of the players who would typically be at the bottom in C1X. Right. But would be gaining strokes on the field uh, T to green. Not uncommon. So to see that she finished second, I had to dig into this because I, I thought that I associated her with you know, being on the lower end of the C1X performers. And I was right. So she gained in the first half of the season, I think she only gained strokes on the field in C1X in maybe one tournament. And uh, I forget what tournament it was, but there was a certain point in the season where it started to become a bit more normal for her to have the positive strokes gained in C1X. And that has skyrocketed at Des Moines to be finishing second. And that's her first top 10 on the whole year. So very cool. Had to shout it out. Yeah. Excellent performance. Really cool to see 
how players are performing on the year and then you know when they step outside their typical mo and for better or for worse and i I love that we're able to highlight those sorts of stats right and and those players that maybe you don't hear some hear from so often but to to highlight a standout performance not just for them but a standout performance in the field yeah certainly one of my favorite things to do on the podcast that's a huge reason of why I like to do this. I think there's just so many players who play so many events. I mean, Tiger Borth has played almost every event this whole year, but a lot of people who are avid fans uh, still may have not heard that name just because she's not on lead cards and chase cards all the time. Right. So. Right. And there you go. You know, this way she can get the recognition for an awesome performance. Someone who we usually talk about quite a bit, but this season we have not talked about so much, Adam Hammes. So, Adam Hammes, I'm just doing you a favor by talking about you on the podcast. So (laughs) I got to say, in round two, you lost more strokes in circle two than any other player lost in circle two in a single round for this tournament. Nice job, Adam, I suppose. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's not the guy you expect to no. see at the bottom of any list, but circle two probably less likely than any other stat. And to be honest, that's not the first time that I've I've felt that way about Adam this year. Yeah. There's, I, there's been a few other times that I've seen him lower down on the list than I expect. Yeah, I I agree. I've certainly picked up on that as well. Don't have all the detailed stats related to that, but it has been a trend. This is not the first time this has happened. Yeah, so on the year, right now he's 43rd and 26th in Circle 1 and Circle 2 putts, and at the end of last year he was 23rd and 10th. So definitely a weaker performance for Adam than we're used to seeing out of him. Yep, so that number of strokes that was lost in round two from circle two was just a hair over three. Now, someone on the MPO side who did not have any struggles putting this weekend, Gannon Burr. So, all props to Gannon Burr. We've talked about his top 10 streak week in and week out, and this week, he tried. He did everything he could to not finish in the top 10, and he still almost accidentally made it happen. It's just when you're that good, you know? Yeah. Sometimes the top 10s just come to you. They come to you. Yeah. So what I mean by this is he lost strokes to the field tee to green. I don't know if he's ever done that before, but he lost strokes to the field tee to green. It was just a hair over two strokes. But he did so good on the putting green that he s- still was able to bring himself all the way up to tied for 12th on the tournament. Yeah. So we're talking about 56% in circle two. Yeah. 10 for 18. And uh, maybe not 100% from circle one, but. It was 96. He missed one. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, basically perfect from circle one. Yeah, he yep. did everything he could to to not find the top 10, but he he still almost accidentally did it. Yeah. So, goes without saying, first in strokes gained putting uh with just a hair over 10. Yeah. 
it's he's so much fun to watch when he's putting, especially in circle two. It's it's wild. He he wasn't first in strokes gained C one X, but he was obviously first in strokes gained C two, and summed together that made him first in strokes gained putting overall. Yeah, and we got to see that on display early this year at LVC. Gannon Burr just putting on a show from Circle Two, and really hasn't slowed down the whole year. No, he he really hasn't. It's it's been an absolute blast to watch. Last note I'll make on the putting here. Just wanted to point out Evelina. Obviously, we've talked at length about her struggles in C1X early in the year, but she's kind of turned it around at this event. Sixty-one percent. So, like we said earlier, finished second in the tournament. Not a competitive C1X percentage, I'll say, compared to the rest of the field, but it's going in the right direction. Hence, you know, a huge reason that she's finishing consistently in that top five podium range. Yeah, you know, we're used to seeing Evelina gaining 15 to 20 strokes T to green. And sometimes, you know, there was five or six tournaments in a row where she was top of the list tee to green and literally bottom of the list strokes gain putting. And she was losing 10, 15, 20 strokes on the field putting. And now she's almost at neutral. So she's still not gaining strokes with her putting, but she lost 1.6 strokes on the field overall putting. So not an amazing performance across the field but for evelina this is a huge step in the right direction and at least she's limiting the damage from her putting at this point yeah totally agree evelina like i said a player that we talk about pretty frequently so i want to talk about a couple players that we i don't know if we've ever talked about these players at all on the podcast starting with evan smith so evan smith finished seventh oh sorry he finished tied for third he got the podium. Uh, it was his seventh event of the year. That's what I meant to say. His previous best finish on the year was 15th at the Mid-America Open in the not-too-distant past. That is his only Silver Series event on the year. So all of his other events are the big name, the Elite Series events. In those events, his previous best finish was 20th. But he's been very consistent. So in all five of those other events, excluding Mid-America Open and Des Moines, he finished between 20th and 34th. So always pretty far from the podium, but in the top half at every event. Very consistent. And he smoked both of those. I mean, finishing all the way up in third. So it's his first podium, but it's not just his first podium. It's his first top 10. Yeah. And... And then some, right? (laughs) Yeah, and I didn't realize this right away because at Ledgestone, I think it was, he was on the lead card in the final round. Didn't shoot a super great round, so uh, dropped all the way down to 20th. But it, it seemed like he was really in the mix. And, uh... At the end of the day, he kind of took himself out of it, but rebounds right at the next tournament getting that podium so great job there yeah i i really enjoyed watching evan he's a phenomenal putter and you know looking into it now call it a stat scramble if you will 
he's 11th and 12th on the season in circle one and circle two for putting 90% and 33, which are excellent numbers. Yeah. Absolutely elite. Yeah. I was watching a little bit of the coverage, the lead card coverage live on disc golf network. And it just seemed like he was hitting every putt that he looked at circle one, circle two didn't matter. So that I was super impressed about that. And his stroke off the tee is super smooth. So yeah, he's absolutely good, great form. Not, yeah, forehand and backhand too. Yep. So we'll be seeing more of this guy. Yeah. Uh, you know, I take l- note of this one. First podium, I'm sure it won't be the last. Yeah, I loved seeing him throw some of the Clash discs. You know, that's a smaller manufacturer. I've, I've got a couple Clash discs in my bag, so it was really cool to see Evan throwing some of those discs. You know, it's always cool when you see a pro throw a disc that you bag. Yes, always fun. Yeah, th- whipping out the Clash Berry. It's a really neutral mid. I think yep, anybody yep. that likes a Buzz or an Emac Truth or something in that slot, um, Clash has amazing feeling plastic. It reminds me a lot of Castaplast's K1. If you like totally that, agree. if you like that plastic, I think you would love these Clash discs. So check out some of them. The other player I wanted to shout out that we don't normally talk about on the FPO side this time is Macy Valadez. She also grabbed a podium, finishing solo third in three of her last four events. Uh, she has finished tied for sixth or better. So she has been super hot of late. Uh, like I said, she had two tops or two tied six finishes in the last four events, so just a hair outside the top five. In her previous five events before her most recent four events, she only had one top ten in those five events. So she has really turned it on of late. Good to see. She's a super fun player to watch. Throws it a mile and is very good on the putting green. So someone who should be on the podium more often, I think. Um, probably just a string of inconsistencies, perhaps. One side of the game's on, one side's off. But clearly, I mean, when she's on all cylinders, she's going to be in the mix to take one down. So be on the lookout there. Yeah, wouldn't be surprised to see her on the podium again. And here's a quick little fun one for you. In Simon Lazat's three wins this year, he has won, in order, $9,000, then $10,000, and then $11,000. <laughs> so awesome. just in wins, he has uh, $20,000 in earnings in 2022. And do you have any idea what his total earnings is on the year for all events that he's played, not just the ones that he's won. Yeah, I know he was, I think, second at DDO. He did well at the Preserve. I think he was top 10 at Deglo, and that was really it. So I, I bet it's like 26 or 7. 45. Really? Yeah. Some of those... Like third and fifth place finishes, guys are still walking away with like two or three grand. Really? Yeah. 
So wow. it's it's added up big time. I should go pro. I know, man. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, that obviously, that's a guess the stat. We didn't formally go into guess the stat, but that's a guess the stat. And then I got one more guess the stat for you here. I love him. This is a Robert Burridge stat. So first off, shout out to Robert Burridge. Had the longest bogey-free streak at the event with 32 consecutive holes, bogey-free. Hard thing to do on that on that course. It's a pretty challenging course. A lot of holes that can get you. On the event, the whole event, he had a 1057 rated event. Would you like to guess what his previous best event rating was before this 1057? Hmm. And this is all events, not just DGPT events. Yeah. I know he he's known for the collegiate nationals. I think even USAMs. I don't think you'd be asking me if it wasn't a big jump, so it's it's probably like ten twenty or ten thirty. Yeah, you're not far off. So it is ten thirty four. Okay. So it's a delta of twenty three strokes. And here's the interesting thing. That 1034 that he got, that was in MA1. That was not in MPO. So if you restrict uh, to just events where he played in MPO, that best rating goes down to 1029. If you reduce it further to events that he played in MPO in DGPT events, that best goes down to 1014. Wow. So this yeah. really was a, a standout performance for you. Yes, it was. Okay. Well, we had the conversation about Ganon Burr at the beginning of the year. I, I, I'd love to, to see Robert show us that he can do this consistently and that this wasn't a, a once-in-a-lifetime event. Totally agree. I think we'll be seeing him for a long time, so uh, don't you worry about that. I'm excited about it. So there were a couple other notes in crunch time that I wanted to address. One in particular. Oh, yeah, I guess only just the one. Uh, But before I do, do you have any guess the stats for me? No, I don't. I was planning to do a guess the stat. I had been thinking about it all week, but I ended up spoiling it by posting it on our Instagram. The uh, talking about owns putting stats. Oh, yes. I I was going to have you guess some of the historical performances in the DGPT, but... Of course, you've seen that, and I certainly recommend that anybody who's listening to this go check that out. Um, we may even dedicate some time in next week's episode to talk specifically about what Owen has done this week, this year. Sorry. Yeah, we got no event this weekend, at least no event in the United States. So we got time to talk about some spicy topics, and that might just be one of them. Yeah, but go for it with, with yours. All right, so this is the last crunch time stat that I had, and this one really surprised me. I I did not notice this until just this week when I kind of dug into it a little more, not really knowing what I was looking for, but here we are. So 2022 season, FPO, through the European Open, so from the very beginning of the year through and including the European Open, that was 15 events that Katrina Allen played in. Okay. 
She finished outside the top five in only one of those 15 events. Okay. It was the OTB Open where she finished ninth. So 14 of 15 events, she finished in the top five. 15 of 15 events finishing in the top 10. In the three events since the European Open, so that's Deglo, Ledgestone, and Des Moines, she has finished outside the top five in all of those three events. And of course, Des Moines being the first one of the year where she has finished outside the top 10. Yeah, surprising to see her have such a dry spell. You know, she has been forever, but it, it felt like an easy shoe-in, you know, especially towards the, the first half of the season when it felt like she was on the podium in every single tournament. Yeah, I mean, to me, she made a case early in the season that she was the best FPO player in the world. Uh, and then, obviously, Kristen started doing her thing and got super hot. Paige took down multiple events, right? Um, and Katrina is not playing poorly at any of these events she hasn't had an event that she's totally just bombed right she's been in the top 10 in every single event and she has a couple wins on the year but i guess with everything else going on in the fpo with kristen tatar especially and then Paige taking down uh you know all the majors and some other events in there as well has kind of put the Katrina Allen story behind closed doors. It's not really on the forefront. You know, it's not something that's super visible. So that shocked me to see that this was her first event outside the top 10. Yeah, I completely agree with that take. It's it's exciting to be getting toward the end of the season because, you know, that's, I feel like when these sorts of player of the year battles are won and lost, right? And, you know, we saw Missy Gannon, who won player of the year last year, give us pretty much all of the case that we had for Missy being player of the year happened between now and the end of the season. Yeah, there's always a bit of that recency bias. Of course. people, People remember those big events at the end of the season. Yeah, and I think, you know, between... Katrina Page and Kristen I think you know Katrina and Kristen have certainly been more consistent than Page throughout the Elite Series events but Page also has both major wins so I think what happens at Worlds and USDGC and DGPTC is gonna play in a lot to you know which of these players comes out on top of the player of the year race know you and i certainly have our favorites but if somebody wins worlds you know if page wins worlds that's three majors in a year how could you not give it to her right worth noting too is that page has not won every major this year we did have Haley king take down uswdgc right 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 but you know page already has two majors this year i imagine she'll be a favorite for all of the rest of the ones this year obviously if she's healthy So we'll just have to see. But certainly, while it seems like Kristen, we both talked about this last week, is the clear front runner, there is enough time and significant events that things could change. Yeah. And, you know, 
we we say player of the year, but there's a few, you know, there's the the Pro Tour player of the year, there's a PDGA player of the year, Ulti World does a player of the year, and each of those has different criteria, right? And some of them are objective criteria where, you know, nobody's choosing. It's just, you know, a formula that they use based on wins and some other formulas. And then some of them are completely subjective where, you know, there's a panel of people that get together and pick it. And things like recency bias play into those. And um, I believe in FPO, Missy did not sweep player of the year. I think she won the PDGA player of the year, but not the pro tour player of the year. Whereas I believe Ricky swept all, all three of the ones that I mentioned. Gotcha. So definitely going to be an interesting end to the season. It's been a really exciting one. It feels like it's flown by. No kidding, dude, man. Yeah. Yeah. LVC was six months ago. Yeah. Went by quick, especially you know, since we've been doing the podcast, it's been really cool to see it growing and more people listening to it and the Instagram getting more popular. So thank you to everybody that's continued to stick with us and listen. Um, something Jesse and I have been talking about doing that I think we're going to announce in the next couple of weeks. Um, we're going to do another giveaway on our Instagram. But for this one, we're going to have maybe something along the lines of a secret password or code that we talk about in in one of the podcasts and, and we'll mention which podcast it's going to be. Um, and that way, you know, if you want to be eligible for, for this giveaway, you got to listen to the podcast. And we thank all of you that are listening to this right now and, and hopefully the numbers will continue to rise with things like the Instagram and the giveaways and things like that driving the popularity. So look out for that. Yeah. So I think that's all I've got for this week. Joe, what do we miss? That's it. Perfect. Well, no event this week, but the World Championships is next week at the time of recording. And it's a weird one in that it runs Tuesday through Saturday. So not only weird in that it starts on a Tuesday, but it's also five rounds instead of four. So it's one week away to the day at time of recording, not at the time you'll be listening to this. So this weekend, no event, but Worlds obviously is going to be a big one to talk about. So until then, peace.